mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Um, see, this is new to me. He just really declared who his family is. Now, you can keep it going. It's live. It's Memorex. They can watch it, too. They can see that we're normal. We make mistakes. It's okay. He just declared in the last line of, uh, if you remember, they, they thought he was crazy. He wasn't eating. He was busy with his ministry. Because, listen to me, ministry is more important than your schedule. It's more important than your schedule. Dealing with the souls of mankind is more important than your schedule. Listen, the Herodians are out with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees planning how to kill Jesus. And you know what Jesus is still doing? He's planning on how to get to the cross and die for those same people. His mind didn't change because of, of their actions. And, and so he hasn't been able to get a break, and he got his disciples a way to get a break so they could get some rest. But he continued ministering. He continued in fellowship. He continued preaching the kingdom of God. So, that, so much so that after his friends couldn't get him out of the building, his mom, his brothers came. You know, James and Judas and his sisters and Mary, they came, and they're trying to get him out. And he's like, who are my mother and my brothers and my sister? He, and he looked around at the people that were in fellowship with him. See why they want to keep us out of fellowship? That's the family of God. And he said, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. That was 334B. And then 35, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Whoever does the will of God, that is my family. That is the family of God that's being delivered back to a father in heaven. That's what Jesus is doing. He's brought us into a new family. It's a spiritual family. And so the world doesn't want us to be in that family. They know that there's power in unity. There's power in numbers. And when we have the truth, we don't have to listen to their lie. The, the truth sets us free from their lie. But listen, many people say they know Jesus. Many people say they've said a prayer and they believe in Jesus. Listen, the demons believe. The demons know who he is and they tremble. But the Bible is clear that whoever does the will of God is God's family. And part of doing the will of God is confessing when we're not doing the will of God. Part of doing the will of God is confessing when we're not living the way we should be living. And that's coming to God and reasoning with Him. And though our sins were as scarlet, they can be white as snow. We can come to God and, and come boldly to the throne of grace and allow Him to do spiritual heart surgery on us 
and teach us how to be in his family. Because there's actually boundaries and rules and guidelines and instruction. And there's great love and great grace and great mercy in the family of God. And if you're in the family of God, he desires you to do his will and not your will anymore. He desires you to be crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but the life that you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave his life for you. My question is, is are you in the family of God? Our answer is, now he's going to show us in the next chapter, in the parable of the sower, the four types of hearts. He's going to show us those that are in the family of God. He's going to show us what kind of heart we need to have in order to bear fruit in the family of God. And the fruit is fruit of Christ-likeness. Because if we're not bearing the fruit, then the Spirit of God is not in us because the Spirit of God has the power, the authority. He's been sent by Jesus to create fruit in your life and to transform you into the image of of Christ. And if you're not bearing fruit, if you're unfruitful, as the parable is going to show us, if you're being choked out by the world, or for some reason your heart isn't receiving the word of God properly on good soil, um, you may not be in the kingdom of God. I know this is... Um, contrary to culturanity that teaches all you have to do is say a prayer and you're saved all you have to do is say a prayer say i believe well the demons believe and that's demon theology that's demon belief and they don't obey they don't do the will of god so just because somebody believes doesn't mean that they're saved I know this is difficult for a lot of people because we've been taught in our culturanity, in our Christianity over the, 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 the last 70 years, maybe 100 years, that if you say a prayer, then you're in. And I've told you the story a million times about the young man that came up front and said, and that's why I don't do altar calls, he said a prayer, jumped up literally like Ernest T. Bass and kicked his heels and said, cuckoo can't get me now, Satan, and we never seen him again forever. Really? That's what we're teaching people. But if there's an evidence that follows, see, because faith without works is dead. If we keep doing our own will, then are we really saved at all? And, and here's, a, here's a little tidbit, too, before I get into the parable of the soul, uh, sower. Our mandate is not to make believers. Our mandate is to make disciples. And if we would stay focused on our mandate, we would see the evidence of a believer. But since we begin to just say, oh, I just want to get a notch on my belt and get somebody to say a prayer and get them to think that they're okay, our focus becomes on just them saying a prayer instead of a relationship with them so that they become a disciple. So if our focus stays on not just winning, but discipling and sending. If our focus stays on that there has to be fruit of repentance and then fruit of salvation, 
And then that will eventually bear fruit of a saved soul that would go out to win others to Jesus. So let's read. Let's get see what we can get started on. Or I'll just get on another soapbox. Um, chapter 4, Mark, verse 1. And again he began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in on the sea and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching listen behold a sower went out to sow and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth but when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and it yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn. And he said to them, Do you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble." Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some 30, some 60, and some a hundredfold. Also he said to them, is a lamp brought to put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone had ear, has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Let's pray. Father, we cry out to you from the middle of us, from our hearts. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us and that we would have ears to hear what you would say to the church today. We pray, Lord, that the world, Satan, or the flesh would not interfere with what you would say to us. And that it would be word that's planted deep down in good soil that would cause us to grow fruit. Some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. 
Thank you, Lord, that you want us to bear fruit and that our fruit should remain. Pour out your spirit upon us. Help us to receive with meekness the implanted word for the continued saving of the soul. And we just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 4.1, again he began to teach by the sea. Now again, I just want you to constantly see that this is what he's doing. This is what Jesus does. He's teaching. He's teaching the kingdom of God. He did it before. He does it after the crucifixion, before the ascension. And now he's doing it through the word of God and the spirit of God and the messengers or ambassadors for God, you and I. Um, He's by the sea. If you're last time, they were crashing in on him, crushing in on him. And he told the disciples to get a boat. Remember that? In case they would push in and and uh, so he said, get a boat and you can set out. And I heard that there's, you know, if you're sitting in a boat on the sea, that there's great uh, uh, acoustics and you can teach right across and it bounces off the water. That's pretty amazing stuff to me. Uh, only God could know that long before anybody even knew anything about acoustics, huh? We've seen Moses doing it in the Old Testament on top of a hill down into a valley. And a great multitude was gathered to him uh, so that he got into a boat and sat and in it on the sea and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea now listen i I, I like to point these things out only to show you that in culturanity we're way way upside downward Uh, biblical times teachers sat down and people stood and so now because of of us in our hearts wanting to make sure that disciples come and believers come and, and, and congregants come and they put money in the plate. We make everything convenient for the learner. And we make them lazy where there's no work for them. Oh, I know, I say this to my detriment. People get mad at me when I bring this type of stuff out. But sheep are lazy by nature. We're sinners by nature. We're going to take the easiest path by nature. So when we have churches, and I just I preach about this all the time, that has you know the words on the on the screen. You don't have to bring your Bible. You don't have to engage your mind into anything. These are all things that are designed to destroy you. I'm not saying that every church that does it wants to destroy you. I'm telling you that it will destroy you to make you lazy. You'll quit carrying your Bible if they put the scripture up there. You'll quit memorizing the songs if they put the songs up there. You'll quit doing anything. If they pipe it into your home, you know what you'll do? You'll watch it on Zoom so that you can get a five-minute head start on your vacation or to the park where everybody's going. So you won't come to church. You'll leave out fellowship. Most saints don't understand the rationale of fellowship. So it's not a big deal to them to be locked in their home and miss church. But fellowship is a mandate by God to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but encourage one another, stir up love and good works, especially as we see the day approaching. And if you go back to Acts 2.42, the early church was birthed on the word, prayer, and fellowship. Fellowship with God, fellowship with the saints if you have good fellowship with god you won't be afraid of fellowship with the saints or anybody else because you understand that he's given you power he's given you authority not a spirit of fear but one of authority one of a sound mind one of love while you have that 
Now, the great part is, is that all of us are in different places as we think about this. There's mature saints. There's baby saints. There's, there's people that's in between. Tweeners. I don't know what they call them. There's all different levels, just like there is in the physical. There's all different levels in the spiritual. The great news is, is the moment that you believe in the blood of Jesus, your position is secure just like anybody else's. But then you have to begin to turn your heart toward being a man or a woman after God's own heart, to do God's will. Doesn't mean you're going to quit sinning. It doesn't mean you're no longer a sinner. It means you're a sinner saved by grace. And that as God took the world, or excuse me, Egypt out of the children, or tried to take Egypt out of the children in, in the wilderness, He wants to take the world out of us. He wants to take our will out of us, our desires out of us, and enlist us in His army to do His will. But everything that we see in our system of church today is pretty much upside downward. The reason we have a building and we're doing what we're doing right now is because most people, just most people in the United States believe that you're almost a psycho if you have church in your home. Because this is the normality of church. But this is a man-made system where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. Christianity is not a thing of in the building. Christianity can't be contained to a building. A relationship with God can't be held in a building. It's not a building made with man's hands. It's a building made with God's hands. Eternal in the heavenlies. He's, he's in our hearts. And it should be church wherever we go because we're the ecclesia. The called out ones. By God. He called us out of the world. Yet we see that in most culturanity... The world has deceived us. Satan has deceived us. Our flesh has deceived us. Which is, if you watch the parallel, that's going to show you the four hearts. The three that are attacked are the, your three enemies. Satan, the world, and the flesh. They parallel because that's the three enemies of our, of our heart. We got one friend, and that's the Word of God. We got one friend. That's the kingdom of God. That's Jesus. He's the one that gives us good soil when we turn our hearts and our will toward Him to do His will. What's His will? That all men should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. None should perish. See, He gave His most prized possession to save souls. And that really should be our mandate that we're doing everything with the gifting, with the Spirit, with the Word of God, with all of our resources that God has given us to do one aim, God's will to save souls, to keep them from being deceived by the devil. It looks like a lot of different things, but it all has to come to the finality of God's will, not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup. Not my will, but thy will be done. Boy, the devil is made up and we have made up and church or culture entity makes up so many other ways. Just as Jeroboam did in 1 Kings chapter 12. Just as he was judged in 1 Kings chapter 13. These false systems that do nothing but lead you to hell. They're everywhere. 
And so we want to make sure we're turning our hearts toward home. So they, he sat down. Everybody else was standing. Now, there are those that will tell you that when you see this, and if you look at it with all the um, Matthew, Mark, or, yeah, Matthew, Mark, and Luke involved, that Jesus leaves the house, and he goes to the sea, and the house represents him leaving the nation of Israel, and the sea represents all the waters of the world and all the nationalities, and he begins this preaching ministry to everybody. And that and would be a good teaching. That's fine. It would be a great teaching because his, his ministry turns to everybody that will do the will of God because that becomes the family of God. And two, what did he do? Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, his doctrine, uh, if you're King Jameth, it's doctrine, it's just the act of teaching. So uh, and doctrine is teaching you how to do right living before God. So he's sitting there, they came to him, he's teaching them, and he begins to do it in parables or, or similes. A parable is a, um, a narrative laid alongside uh, spiritual truth. How um, I've always said it, it comes from the word para, which means alongside. You get the paracletus is the Holy Spirit, one who comes alongside to help. Well, this is parable. It's a, it's a narrative laid alongside a spiritual truth to teach those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. But it was really designed differently. It was designed as grace to the one who wasn't ready to hear because they wouldn't hear truth and harden their heart. But it was designed as teaching for the person who wanted to hear, but it was also designed for this. And you're going to see it in verse 10 that you go, what? See, the disciples that really had a heart, they had good soil, would go, what? Did you hear what he said? What? I like doing that. What? And then they would come to him and ask him. See, if you go search, like you come to church to be equipped for the work of the ministry, and then you just walk out and you do nothing with what you heard, you really weren't trying to find out if it was truth. You really wasn't trying to search. You really wasn't digging deeper. You really was You was just doing it for a spiritual act of worship, which could be your flesh to make you feel good. But we're supposed to be applying what we're being equipped with today throughout the week. You chew on it. You meditate on it. You memorize it. You begin to put it into action. You let it cut your heart and cut away the flesh and build up the spirit. And you become that message. You become that person that's like Christ. I've told you many times, when the man of God looks into the word of God and sees the son of God, he's transformed by the spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. It's not just, I heard a message and I left. You're looking for Jesus. You're looking for that example. You want to follow that example. You want to ask the Holy Spirit to make you like that example. And you want to go and do the will of God in the example. Other than that, it's just some, like, some type of just like uh, high school teaching that's just saying, okay, I got to get through this. See, we're privileged to be a part of this. We're privileged to be those who would be sacrificed just like Christ was as our example so that other people could come out of a lying world and come to a God who loves them and be in his family for eternity rather than get cast into hell where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he, he begins to teach them in a way that, that they 
sometimes understood, you're going to see in the explanation, they really didn't get it completely. At least some of them didn't. And he begins to explain it to them so that they can understand fully. But there was others that went, remember, remember when in John uh, 6, and he said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they're like, man, this dude's whacked. He's talking about cannibalism. We're out of here. You know? And there were some that said, oh, and they followed him to the other side. And they're like, maybe we can get some more fish. He gave fish and bread out. That's pretty cool. I don't know how he did that with those three and four, but I want some more food. But then John 6, 6, 6, many walked away and followed him no more. And he looked at his disciples and said, will you go away also? And they said, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've come to know that you are the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. Where can you go? Once you know the truth. You can go to others and tell them. So one of the parables that we see, spiritual truth laid alongside, it's, uh, it's, it's actually grace. It's actually protecting the hard hearts that won't listen. He said, hearken, King James. I know you guys love King James, don't you? Hearken, listen. Listen, listen. the reason I'm telling you that is because it's the same word for hear. Down in um, 12, he's going to say hearing the... You know, it's the same word. It's in the Strong's uh, Concordance. It's number 191. It means to give audience. It means to listen to. But when you see that, when I see that, I got to tell you just truthfully. When I see hearken, I don't think hear. I just don't. When I see listen, I think, I better listen. And so Jesus says, typically he would say, listen, listen. Um, but here he just says, hearken or listen. Behold a sower went out to sow. Now, in these days, they didn't do it like you see the, I mean, if you've been, if you live in the rural area, have you seen the great big, I don't know how many blades they got on them anymore, but like they drive down three times and now they've done 100 acres. I'm like, how they reach so much crops and plant so much all it. See, they, what they would do is they would have a bag on their side and they would grab handfuls of, and they would just throw it everywhere. They would just throw it out there. They didn't have these perfect rows. They would just throw the grain out there and it would land where it landed. And I think we're supposed to do the same thing with the word of God. And I might be ahead of myself, but I'm just preaching the word of God. I just go out into the public and speak truth. And if there's a good heart there where the Holy Spirit is working on that heart to draw them into truth, then God is the one that takes care of that. I'm not responsible where it falls unless, of course, I violate where it says, don't cast your pearls before swine. Now that I know that that's a swine and I've made the judgment that that's a swine and they're not listening, then God has told me not to keep preaching to them and wasting my time. Okay, so there are some exceptions. Don't try to put this all in one little. Okay, I'll get back to this. Before I get into a two hour sermon, which I know you guys don't necessarily want on Mother's Day. Let me ask you, as we look at hearts, that's what the soil is. Where has your heart been in the last six weeks? 
See, because this is what I've been examining. This is what God's been saying to me. This is what God's pointing to me. He's like, you know what? I take all things the devil mean for bad, and I use them for good. And during this six weeks, where was your heart really at? Did you miss fellowship? Did you miss church? Did you miss people? Did you, where was your heart at? What was you focused on? What was you working on? What was you doing? And now this is a great time, see, because God doesn't give us tests to, to kill us. He gives us tests to show us our hearts. Deuteronomy 8, 2, remember? Deuteronomy, all these 40 years in the wilderness to test you and to try you that you would know what was in your heart to see if you would obey the commandments of God. So when things go on, God wants to show us the soil of our heart. He wants us to see what we do when we hit the wrong nail with the hammer. He wants us to see what we do when they mail us that check that we really didn't need, wasn't supposed to have, and really you should be sending it back. I'm not talking about those stimulus checks. Uh, I'm just talking about when you get extra money. Like, see, I, I, I'm in this uh, uh, group, but we don't have insurance. We have this group called CHM. Uh, it's Christian Healthcare Ministry. It's a co-op. And my wife just racked up like $400,000 worth of medical bills. And I'm thinking, oh, man, now we're going to really test these people to see where they're at. And, 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 and you know, the hospital gave us like 70% discount. And so one of our final bills was like $98,000. And I'm like, going into rapture. You can keep all that. Uh, but anyway, no, then, then this, these people, I open up an envelope, and here's a $98,000 check. And I'm like, are you kidding me? They sent me a check this quick, and I figured they'd send it to me like 10,000 increments. And, and how do you trust people, even though they say they're Christians, and you send them a $100,000 check in the mail? I was looking at it. I go, oh. I got a few ways I could use this. See, it tests your hearts, doesn't it? It tests your hearts. My wife's like, what? Send that. I go, well, I'm going to send it. I just want to look at it for a while and think about ways I could use this. Like, I could actually pay off this bill and that bill and just part of that bill, and then I could actually get over. And she's like, would you send a check to the people for their money? I said, but honey, we could. And she's like, and, and I'm playing, but it does test your heart. Because there are alternatives to things other than just following the instructions and being trustworthy and having integrity. There's other ideas out there. But is that really what God wants you to do with your heart? See, and this is what the devil wants to do. When you hear a message on Sunday and you know what you're supposed to be doing and you know what God requires of you and you're in the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship and then you walk out the door and something happens, and you show somebody the one-way sign, the tall finger, it's testing your heart. The person who pulled out in front of you or honked did not put that in your heart, but it's showing you the soil of your heart that still needs God's grace upon it and God's work upon it, so you can ask for forgiveness and say, Lord, help me not to be so impatient. Help me not to be so unkind. Help me not to be so... You fill in the blank. So it's very important that we examine, if we're in the family of God, the condition of our heart, the soil of our heart. And I believe that, listen, the sower sowing seed, it's his will that we receive the seed and that we bear fruit. But I believe it's also our responsibility in our free will to keep our heart prepared to plow up the fallow ground and get it ready for the seed. That's why we worship music. That's why we do worship music, to prepare your heart in the throne room of God for the Word of God. 
That's why you do devos and why you're in the word, prayer, and fellowship, and you spend time with God. See, I don't get up in the morning and just rush right out into the world. I go spend time with God because, see, I know who I was in the world. And if I'm not spending time with God and I rush right out into the world, you're not going to like me. Because if I just do what I do in the natural man, and I'm not saying like, here I am, I'm not the Nicolaitan. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about growing in maturity. And if I just act like a natural man and I'm in society, you're not going to like me. You're not going to want to be around me. But when I spend time with God first and I spend time in fellowship first, I see, that's what we're doing right now to prepare you for your whole week out there. And your whole week out there, instead of living in your flesh, you should be chewing on this message and saying, my heart needs to be a heart that represents God in everything that I do, even when they pull out in front of me, even when, even if, even though. Because if you don't take the responsibility to prepare your heart for the word of God, it cannot grow fruits of righteousness in it. It'll be like these other soils that won't receive the word of God, or they receive it for a minute. We better get to them, because I'll be here all day. This is actually, I mean, this is like, like, like an amazing text. I don't know if you guys understand it, but with this parable, you understand all the other parables. You understand all the kingdom of God, because it's all about the heart. It's the heart that we're supposed to keep with diligence. Out of it proceed all the issues of life. It's the heart that God comes and dwells in. It's the heart that's going to be with him for eternity. So everything is about the condition of the heart. So therefore, we can't just say, yes, I believe, and then not surrender to be discipled and become like Christ. Because see, the heart, the seed, we're going to see in Jesus' explanation of his parable, we're going to see that the sower, I believe, the first sower is the father. The father sowed Jesus. If you look into John 12, he says, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot produce anything. But once it dies, it can produce many followers. So I believe the first sower was when the biggest seed was sown, the person of Jesus Christ. He is the word of God. So if the seed is the word, the first sower was the father who gave his son one seed. So that all who partake of that one seed, the word of God, can become the family of God. And then the sower becomes Jesus who comes down and, and, and uh, uh, is born of a virgin birth. Lives 30 years obeying the laws of the land. And then he becomes an itinerant preacher that doesn't travel very far at all. And yet everything that he says we still remember and talk about today. We have our calendar set by him. And he began to sow the seed of the word of God, of the kingdom of God. And he began to tell truth. And people picked up on it and grabbed it. It was sown in their heart. And then they become the sowers. You and I, every single one of us are called to be sowers. Of course, in our culturality today, the only people that do it is the preacher. And sometimes maybe a layman that might do a Bible study. But all Christians are called to be witnesses. How do you witness with truth? How do you witness with the word of God? How do you witness with your actions as you go out to be a sower? 
There's some people who are evangelists. They can, they can sow a little bit better. They do it in huge clumps. But everybody is called to be a witness. Or why would Acts 1.8 said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be a witness for me throughout Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Why would all of us be called? Yet we've been duped by a false religious system that teaches us all we have to do is go to church, put a little bit of money in the plate, dress up in our Sunday best, has nothing to do. God, a man judges the outer appearance, but God judges the heart. Here's the heart. Here's the soil. Here's the truth. The soil is the heart. The sower is the Father. The sower is Jesus. The sower becomes you and me, believers who are being discipled. The soil is the heart of mankind, all the world. And we're sowing the Word of God. That's the seed that can change sinners. First, when you receive the main one that died and yea, rose again. And then as you begin to get into the Word of God and it sanctifies and cleanses you with the washing of the water through the Word, when the Spirit is coupled with the Word of God, it scrubs your inside. It reminds you when you're wrong. It reproves you. It corrects you. It builds you up. It trains you in righteousness. And the enemy, of course, is the three that I told you. And contrary to popular demand, Satan is not your greatest enemy. Your flesh is. Your flesh is where you're given power to choose to obey God's will or your will. But those three enemies is Satan, the world, which is under the sway of the wicked one, and your flesh. But the choice is made. The power of, of sin is gone. The penalty of sin is gone in the life of a believer. And now the practice of sin is being removed as we learn to obey God. And that's your choice. That's your choice to clear out all the other desires, to clear out all the other emotions, to begin to deal with them according to the true word of God, to prepare the soil to receive the truth of Jesus and his word. The good news is, is we don't have to do it on our own. God gives you everything. He prepares everything. All you have to do is like the prodigal is come to your senses. The prodigal come to his senses, and he said, I'm going home. I'll be a servant in my father's house. And he couldn't even get there, and the father came running after him, came to him, put a ring on his finger, put a robe on him. He killed the fatty calf. He had a celebration that one was lost, and now they've been found. My son was gone. It's an amazing, amazing testimony of God's love toward us. See, culturanity, I almost said it's an amazing story. But it's not a story. It's a testimony of real life people. It's a testimony of what God is doing on the planet. And when we, when we, when we, when we reduce it to a story, it's like every other story that people write and make up fictitiously in their minds that deceive people. So hearken to this if you have ears to hear. Behold, a sower went out to sow. 
Why? Because he loved the world. And he gave his only begotten son. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside. Two words in the, in, one word in the New King James. It's two words uh, in the King James. And it means progress, a road, a highway. You know, where you get pilgrim's progress. It's that word. It's the way that we're supposed to be in with Jesus. But the, then it's got the word para which is alongside. Again, we have the word parable, para, alongside. And the birds of the air, fowl, King James. I like to bring all that up. Of course, birds uh, in the Bible, except for the dove, birds are always a type of the devil. Except for the dove. Except for dove. Came and devoured it. Notice that. That's the first heart right there. Got invited to church. You heard in the marketplace somebody told you something of the, the word of God and the devil just come right in your first enemy and he just devoured it. He devoured it. It means to eat down. I like looking this stuff up because a fowl meant a flying animal. I'm like, oh, okay, bird. <laughs> I get it. I'm pretty simple here. Bird second heart some fell on stony ground this is the seed falling on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it scorched oh excuse me immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth and of course in this area in this culture they're uh, uh, agrarian but there's areas where uh, there's uh, sandstone, limestone right underneath the ground, just a few inches of dirt, nowhere for the root to grow. But there's also paths, like it's talking about the wayside. When you, I don't know if you have them at your house or, or, or you see them in the woods, and there's places where the ground is really solid and, 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 and hard. Nothing's going to grow on that. What's made your heart hard today? You know, and that's why the parable is there for the grace, because listen, if you hear truth, and you don't deal with it, you don't use it, you don't go tell it to other people, and you don't claim it and own it, it makes your heart hard, and you're really your ears, because that's how God's dealing with us, is with the ears. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit would say to the church. So the next time you hear it, you go, yeah, I've heard that message, and your heart, the middle of you, doesn't even listen, doesn't even receive it. Because it's already heard that message. This is, oh, I'm comfortable. I'm complacent. I'm content where I'm at in the kingdom of God. Really? I'm sure glad Jesus wasn't content with hanging out with some disciples. Complacent about the will of God. See, because if you're not growing, you're dying. You don't stand still in the kingdom of God. And we're supposed to always be on the grow. So stony ground, no depth for the roots to go down. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. You guys been with us in, in studies? Chapter 3, Jesus dealt with a withered hand. They were looking to accuse him. He dealt with a withered hand, a man. He said, stand up, stretch out your hand. It was dried up. Why? Because he had been teaching falsehood. He had been abused with power and authority of religious ruling authorities. That's the whole typology in it. 
And then if you take it back to Jeroboam, when the prophet came to Jeroboam and, and, and testified against the altar and prophesied against the altar in 1 Kings chapter 13, what happened? If you've been with us in the study, Jeroboam said, arrest that man. And as he stuck out his hand and pointed at that man, his hand withered up. Because it was a prophecy against his false religious system. The same thing Jesus was doing in Mark 3 was prophesying against their religious system that had dried up. No spirit, no God. It was man's rules. And our heart can wither and dry up the same way. And without the spirit and the word of God, there's no washing and cleansing. You have to have the water. You have to have the Spirit with the Word of God because this is a spiritual book. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual life. It's a spiritual God. We're not to regard anybody as flesh and blood anymore. It's a spiritual war. Spiritual war where Satan and the world and your flesh is trying to keep you from having a heart that will receive the word of God and get up and go do the word of God and do the will of God and be the family of God and bear fruit some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. It's up to God. He's the one that produces crop. We can't do nothing. You're probably planting the garden now at your house. You can't do nothing except plant it. God's the one that's going to bring fruit from it. So no root, sun scorches it. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. I mean, I have to say that thorns is probably uh, uh, reminding us of the curse. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen, do you have ears to hear? He's talking about us drawing near, investigating, asking, seeking, and knocking. That's what he's talking about when he says, if you had ears to hear. Because all of us, you're like, well, yeah, I'm not dead. You hear me, young man, I told you. I'm not dead. I heard you. Well, you're not obeying, so you really didn't hear. Did you hear with intent to obey the instruction? That's, the, that's, that's what's going on here. Here with obedience in mind. Here with correction in mind. Here with doing the will of God in mind. The seeing eye and the hearing ear are both gifts from God. It says somewhere in Proverbs. It's in there. Go look it up. Um, I'm sorry. That's supposed to be a joke. I'm glad some people in the room got the joke. We were in Bible study, and it's a long time ago, but that's... I'm, I, I mean, I'm trying to learn the Bible. I'm still trying to learn the Bible. This had been about 10 years ago, and there was a girl in our Bible study, and she said something that was just totally off the wall. And that's what a lot of people will do because of these 66 books by 40 authors, and they, they just plan that but because they haven't read it and they don't know it, that somebody that they're talking to don't know it. And she's like, well, it's in there. It is. Look it up. I know it's in there. And I'm like, it's not in there. Oh, it's not? I said, no, it's not in there. That's, uh, it's made up. That don't even make sense. You're, you're somewhere off the wall. So when you know the truth, you automatically recognize the lie, and you automatically know that it's not true. And sometimes if you just know the God of the Bible and His character, you can go, no, nah, I'm sure that's not in there, <laughs> even if you don't know it because it's not His character. Anyway, let's keep moving. Do you have ears that want to go and do the will of God? Because that proves you're the family of God. But when He was alone... 
verse 10, Jesus is alone again. He liked to do that. But he's alone with those around him. Notice this. With the twelve. Now, a lot of times you might read this. That word with is para again, by the way. Very important to know the word para. Alongside. There's others there. A lot of times you see this and you think, oh, it's just his disciples. No, no, no. Just like we talked about in Mark last week when there was the 70 and the 12 and then the inner circle of the three. That's the way it is still. And I still believe that 70 is the perfect number for a church. You get any bigger than 70, it's too much for people to deal with. The fellowship isn't as intimate. And that's why Jesus picked 70. And then he had an inner 12 that were really kind of uh, closer. And then he had Peter, James, and John. And they were the worst ones of the bunch. And that's why they were the closer to them. You ever do that? When I was in school, the teacher always said, sit up there. Just sit right here close to my desk. Because if you sit back there, I can't control you. Sit right up here. That's why Jesus had Peter, James, and John with him all the time. Because if he left them back with the other guys, he would talk them, they would talk him into something. Think about it. James and John are called the sons of thunder. Peter is rebuking Jesus. These guys weren't the smartest cookies on the shelf. These guys weren't with Jesus because they were the cream rising to the top. Get this. We're upside down in our church today. The reason I'm a pastor is because I'm the worst one of you. I'm not afraid to admit it. We're all sinners saved by grace. Jesus keeps the worst ones close to him. And you should think of yourself as being chiefs of sinners, just like Paul did. And that way you can stay close to Jesus. You know where your place is and where you need to be. And there's nothing good that dwells in you. So anyway, I believe that that's, here they are. They're all together. The the world has walked away. But here he is. They're all with him in the 12. And what did they do? What did I tell you parables are for? They didn't fully understand, so they asked. You got to go deeper. You got to search for the gold nuggets. You got to draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. But if you just hear a message and you go, ah, I believe part of it, I didn't believe some of it, I'm not even going to invest it, I'm not even going to search it out. Really? Really? You're going to let somebody, we're talking about heaven and hell, eternity, talking about you burning in hell or enjoying sweet fellowship with God for eternity. You're not going to check it out? You're not going to make sure. I mean, I just, uh, there was some reports of some people that told him, oh, listen, he's coming soon. Puts, and I, I'm not making fun of this because some people lost some lives, but I'm telling you, uh, he's coming soon. And what you need is rolls of quarters in your pockets, and you need to go get in your bed and wait, and he'll be here soon. And they all died. Or you need to drink this Kool-Aid. I mean, I, I, I'll date myself, but there's people who say some really insane stuff, and we follow it. If we don't have the truth to keep us in line, we'll believe some dumb stuff. We're sheep. We're the, I mean, that's why he calls us sheep. We can go behind the barn and go, bah, I'm lost. Help. And, and, and the pastor is just right around there. But we're looking the wrong direction and we can be so easily deceived. So easy. I mean, that's why when, when the disciples asked Jesus, when will these things happen? He doesn't start laying out dates. He tells them, careful that no one deceive you. He tells them to guard their hearts, to make sure they're in the truth, to test themselves. Make sure nobody's deceiving you.
So he gets them alone and they ask. That's what parables were for in this time. That's why when you go through a text and you read the Bible and you go, I don't even know what I just read. Well, it's good medicine and it goes in, but you need to find out what you read eventually. Eventually, you need to know. You need to start searching it and going, I need to understand what's going on. Because, see, these are not just 66 books that all make up one book, but they systematically tell the same thing of God's history of what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. And they systematically, to anybody who will seek and ask and knock, they tell you what's happening right now. They open your eyes to truth. But if you have the soils, and we're going to see in a minute, that are being deceived by Satan or by the world or by your own flesh because you desire something other than the will of God and the word of God and the way of God, then you're deceiving yourself. And self-deception is the worst deception. That's why James, Jesus' brother, O camel knees, said, uh, what did he say? <laughs> I knew what I was going to say till I said it. Uh, he said, um, but be doers and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Doers and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. In other words, you can hear and not have a heart ready to be a doer. And that's self-deception. See, if you find out that I've been lying to you and you've been giving me money and I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and you're going you're gonna to prosecute me. You're going to deal with it. You're not just going to keep giving me money. He's cheating me. He's deceiving me. But when you're deceiving yourself, you never want to tell yourself the truth. So self-deception is the worst deception. You go, no, nah, I'm not really. I'm not really. No, I'll be okay. I'll be fine. I can keep doing this. This is great. But see, when you hear new truth, when you hear something that God opens up your eyes, and reveals, he takes the cover off, and you ignore it, you're hardening your heart to the truth of God. You're hardening your heart to the Father who loves you, and he'll put grace all over you if you'll repent and ask for, for strength and power and wisdom to do life and to live for him and be a witness. He'll give you everything you need as long as your heart is a heart toward him instead of a heart to deceive yourself, because he'll wake you up. He'll chastise you. If all you're doing is deceiving yourself, he will shake your butt awake, and it ain't no fun. But it has great reward. It's not to kill you. You can be glad that you are a child of God if you receive chastisement, because if you're deceiving yourself and he's not waking you up, you might not be a child of God. You might not be in his family. You might be the neighbor's kid. Seriously, you don't parent the neighbor's kids. You parent your own kids. And if you're illegitimate and you're not a child of God, he's probably not parenting you. The word of God doesn't bother you. It doesn't scare you that he might one day judge you. But he's coming back soon. So they come and they ask him about the parable. When you read the word of God, when you see the word of God, when you think about life, are you even concerned about what's going on? Or are you just bouncing around? You just do what people tell you. Now, I can understand if you're a child and you're under authority and you're being told what to do and you can't make those decisions. But as an adult, one who believes in Christ, you can't just bounce around in your parents' house and do what you want. What do we call that in society? Normal? Oh, no, I was just joking. Uh, we <laughs> That's what we call it, normal. It's not normal. Everybody in the family is supposed to be doing something. Everybody in the family has a, 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 a gift, a talent, an ability. Everybody in the family has a calling upon their life. Everybody is a part of the body of Christ. You're a ligament. You're a bone. You're part of the body. 
And for somebody to just be laying around, bouncing around and not doing their part, you leave another part of the body out there that has to deal with what you're supposed to be doing. Remember we talked about it in Numbers when they would pack up the whole camp and the whole tabernacle and everything and you get to the next camp and you go, where's the tent pegs at? We can't put none of this together without the tent pegs. Oh, well, Jimmy, he's real mad that last night you took the last piece of fish, so he's not here today. He decided to stay in the other camp. What? So nothing can go on because he's back there playing with his emotions and holding on to the tent pegs and didn't carry the pegs to the next camp. Which is what the book of Numbers is about. Everybody gets numbered. Everybody's got a place. Everybody's got a position. Everybody's. That's what we are in the body of Christ. But not in culturanity. In culturanity, we just show up, we feel good about ourselves, and we run right back to our sin. We run right back to our desires. We run right back to our entertainment. We run right back to the world and live like twice the sons of hell instead of doing the will of God. I know, you're like, it's Mother's Day, and COVID's all over the planet. Why is he yelling at us? Why is he giving us such a harsh message? To me, it's not harsh. To me, it's love. To me, it's the Word of God. To me, it's truth. To me, it's what sets us free from the bondage that we're in. To me, we're, the day is closer today than it was yesterday. COVID's not my enemy. Satan and the world and my own stinking flesh is my enemy. And if I deceive myself, I don't even have to worry about the world and Satan if I'm not surrendering my will and crucifying myself, my sin nature, to the cross at Calvary, then I deceive myself. So we need to come and ask, find out what it's about, draw near to him. And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. See, this message right now means nothing to you. He's just talking. If it hasn't been given to you to know the secrets of God, the mystery of God. See, this means nothing. Not making sense, not lining up. You better run to the cross and ask Jesus why it's not lining up. Why does this not affect me? Why is he stepping all over my toes? I'm not aiming for your toes. I'm aiming for your heart because that's what matters most. If all you're worried about is being offended and your toes stepped on, you may want to ask God why. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables so that, and here's some homework for you. I may teach this whole chapter next week. It's Isaiah chapter 6 powerful about the nation of israel and a prophecy about us it's about the hearts and about destruction seeing they may see and not perceive in other words i seen it with my eyes i seen it but i didn't perceive it i didn't understand it all three of these words means to understand it's spiritual understanding watch this you can see it didn't even get it hear it didn't understand it lest they should turn which is in King James, it's the word converted. Turn and convert. Be converted. It means to turn about, to return to God. And their sins be forgiven them. I believe that uh, God's will that all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
I believe that he is reaching out to people. As we sow the word of God, they hear the word of God, and they either harden their heart more and more and more, or they're waiting for the Spirit of God at the right time to bring that person awake to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They have to make a decision sometime to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he said to them, verse 13, Do you not understand this parable? And I imagine they were all looking at Peter. Speak, Peter, because we don't want to talk to him. He scares us. They're all looking at Peter. Do you not understand? It means to mentally put together, to comprehend. That's what it means. But it's a spiritual thing. And, and, and the book is spiritual and it cannot be discerned physically. It has to be given by the Spirit of God. How then will you understand all the parables? Because he's going to keep speaking in parables. And so understanding this one, that there's an enemy trying to destroy your heart, to try to keep you from receiving the Word of God, is paramount to understanding every parable. And then keeping your heart clean, asking, drawing near, looking, and choosing to pursue God and be a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's heart, is your choice. This is how you understand all the parables. Because if you read it and you don't understand it, you draw near and you ask, you seek, you knock. And when he's ready to give you what it's about, he'll give it to you. But you can't get it from the world. I don't know if you've ever read some worldly commentaries or something. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, because they actually teach in seminaries that Jesus didn't do miracles. You know, there were people standing behind him in the cave and they were handing this stuff out, but it made him look real popular because he was feeding so many people. They teach that kind of crazy stuff. That's why we joke and when we say seminary, instead of saying seminary, we say cemeteries because it's full of dead man's bones that don't even believe in God and would try to act like they're teaching the word of God. Let me get back. We'll close this up because I know you guys are like, he won't shut up. And really, it's not about my many words. It's about you receiving the word into your heart. It's really about you sitting down and having a personal relationship with him. It's about me challenging you and equipping you so that you will know that when you draw near yourself with a pure heart, he'll, he'll plant his seed in your heart. He'll give you a message. That's what that's about when you read Isaiah 6. I might teach the whole chapter next week. It's an amazing chapter. 14, so he starts telling us, the sower sows the word. So we know that the person who is uh, the vessel is sowing, and there's nothing you can sow but the word of God. I know there's lots of people that are sowing fancy stories, and let me tell you about my life, and they're sowing all kinds of stuff out there, but only the word of God will change your life. Only the word of God gives true instruction on how you're supposed to live and be godly and be like the Christ-like example. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, notice birds, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown where? In their heart. That's the soil. These likewise, so Satan's your first enemy, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, hard heart. When they hear the word, immediately receive it. Notice they receive it with gladness. They received it. Let me see what this means. Cheerfulness and calm delight. They receive it with gladness. 
and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. What happens to them when they have no root? It doesn't go deep down. Oh, I'm glad you asked. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Notice persecution, tribulation comes for the word's sake. That's the world. The world brings persecution. Satan, then the world, persecution, tribulation, affliction in the King James. It means pressure, anguish. It means trouble. It comes from the world. That's the second enemy. The third is 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. Notice everybody hears because you hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Cares is through the word, it's through the idea of distractions. There's other things that my heart desires more. I, I'm drawn to this entertainment and this rock concert. I'm drawn to these things more. That's the cares. So this is the flesh that is drawn away by the deceitfulness, the delusion, the deceit of riches. If I get more of this, if I work longer... And the desires of other things, a longing for the forbidden is what that means. When you long for, when you go after and lust after, what does it do? It's the curse. It's the age-old curse. It's the flesh. It's the sin nature. It chokes you out to where you don't desire the will of God. You desire to do what your self wants to do. And the only good self is a dead self. Listen, it's a true, true saying from the Bible. The sin nature, self, lust against the, against the spirit. The world is not suffering from self-esteem. Or, excuse me, from a lack of self-esteem. It's, it's suffering from a lack of Christ-esteem. Where our hearts need to be turned. So the world, the flesh, and Satan, those are the three choked out. Look, at, look what it does. Satan just steals it. He came, the liar came to steal, kill, and destroy. The world brings tribulation, affliction, persecution, pressure, trouble. And then your emotions, your desires, your sin nature pursues everything else, desires everything else except for the word of God, the will of God. And the ways of God, which are all laid out in the word of God that's supposed to be planted in your heart with meekness for the saving of your soul. So the good heart, but these are the ones sowed on good ground, none good but God. Can't have a good heart unless it's from God. Those who hear, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, accept or receive delight in
and bear fruit. See, we're supposed to bear fruit. What's the fruit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. It's the same fruit of the character of Jesus. We're supposed to be hearing, receiving, and bearing fruit. Some more than others. Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. It's not normal fruit. It's supernatural fruit. Even a, a grain of wheat doesn't produce that much fruit. But in the spiritual realm, God can produce as much fruit as you want to have. How you draw near it with a clean heart, with a pure heart. Have you prepared the soil of your heart? Are you preparing it by confessing sin? By uh, getting into the Word? By drawing near to God? By asking Him what this means? It's interesting that the Word of God is designed to bear fruit. God sent His Word to heal the land. It most definitely will bear fruit if it abides in your heart, if it lives there, if you put it in, and yet you can let your flesh choke it out and it becomes unfruitful. Isn't that interesting? So if you've been in the church for decades, and you go, well, where's, my, where's the spiritual fruit at? What's going on? Maybe it's everything else that we pursue that chokes it out and makes the Word of God unfruitful. It makes it like it's a dime store novel. You might know the knowledge, but what about the fruit? What about the character? What about the relationship? What about the heart that's being prepared to continue to receive the Word of God? 21, we'll close this. Also, he said to them, is a lamp, a light brought to be put, a candle brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? What's he talking about? Now that the light is turned on about our hearts, that we can have these kind of hearts, that our heart is supposed to be receiving the word of God. Then he says, that light is not brought. You didn't get the revelation of the light of Jesus Christ so that you can hide it under a basket or a bed. It's a lampstand. You set it up where people can see it. You set it up where they can hear the truth. You go out and witness the truth. Now that the heart has been exposed, now that you put it in the place of God, you don't let the devil steal it. You don't let tribulation and persecution uh, kill it. You don't let the, the desires that you have for other things choke it out. You take it and make it the number one thing. You set it up high. I tell people, draw a line in the sand. Because they're always saying, well, I got saved and I started doing this. And then I went back and hung out with some of my friends. I said, well, what you do is you draw a line in the sand. They said, what do you mean? I said, well, the first thing you do is say, hey, you might be wondering where I've been, but I've been living for Jesus. And if you don't want to live for Jesus, get away from me. At least you draw a line in the sand. I know people go, that's pretty rude. No, they are going to drag you down. They are going to destroy you. They're going to deceive you. They're not living for Jesus. First of all, you shouldn't go to them by yourself anyway. You need to take somebody with you that will keep you accountable. But draw a line in the sand. I'm going to live for Jesus. Like someone said, if the devil comes knocking on the door, let Jesus answer the door. Let the Word of God answer the door. But once you've been given the light into your heart, don't hide it. Set it up high. Begin to witness. Begin to talk about it. But the world don't want me to do that. Right. The world don't eat the sway of the wicked one. But I might. Okay. For there is nothing hidden 
which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. The Word of God exposes it. It's a mirror. It's a mirror to your soul as you get into the Word, as you turn your heart over to God. Can't keep it secret anyway. You can't hide the truth of God's Word. If He's really changing your life, it's going to be like a fire in your bosom. It has to get out. We might go there next week. I don't know. Prayer would have worked good, but it would have been a three-hour sermon. And then it says in 24, Then He said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. What? That sounds so mean. In other words, if you're drawing near and you're hearing the word of God, you're hearing the word of God and you're pursuing it, you're wanting to do the will of God and you're trying to obey it, then you're going to grow. You're going to get more. You reap what you sow. But if you hear it and you let the devil steal it, the world steal it, or your flesh goes pursuing everything else and ignores what you heard, then it's just going to be taken from you because you don't, you don't stand still with the kingdom of God. You're either growing and going and trying to do the will of God and be the family of God in the spirit of God, His power, His might, according to His plan, or even what you thought you knew, you know, the people who say, well, I tried God and it didn't work for me. It's taken from them because they didn't apply any of it to their heart. They didn't apply it to their life. They deceived themselves. God's word is fruitful. God is all-powerful. If we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. So if we're not growing and going, then it's because of us and our choices, not because of God. Never because of God. Never because of God. So on Mother's Day, it's a good day to examine our hearts. You know why? Because every day is a good day to examine our hearts. That's what we do with the Word of God. We examine our hearts. We look into the perfect law of liberty. And we, it's a mirror to our soul. And we ask God to help us grow. Because every day we should be growing. Every day. We don't sit in the pews and say, I wish my friend would have been here if they'd have heard that. No, we needed to hear that. And if your friend needs to hear it, take it to them. Because light has been turned on in you. If you know that's what they need to hear, then go share it with them. But it's only the Spirit of God that brings increase. There's no other way to grow. And your heart cannot be purified. Your heart cannot become the good soil unless you surrender first and begin to let God make it good soil. As He turns on the light, you set the light up on the lampstand where it goes and He continues to wash and cleanse, sanctify you and prepare you. To be a bride at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So what is keeping you from all that God has for you? Is it Satan? Is it tribulation and persecution? Everything that's going on in the world? COVID-19? Is it your own desires to be famous or pursue education, pursue riches? Is that choking out the Word of God and its effectiveness in your life? Fear will do it. It'll choke out and quench the Holy Spirit probably quicker than anything. 
because fear to me is the opposite of faith. I'm going to trust God and go. Now listen, real fear is fear. And I'm going to end with the fear because we need to know it because a lot of people are in fear right now. Fear, real fear is fear. And if you don't have real fear when somebody's coming at you with a gun, then there's something wrong with you. Or you've been trained really good at taking guns away from somebody. Are, we've been given natural fears. But you need to look at them through the sunglasses of the Bible. Through the promises of God. And at the end of it, when it's fear for your life, you need to know that only God can take your life and your soul and cast it into hell. So we need to draw near to Him and ask Him what's going on. We need to be Bereans and search for what's going on in our lives and allow His Word to go deep down in our hearts. Deep down. Not just planted for a minute. Wish I had a dollar for everybody I seen come into the church and they were so happy and then they're gone. What happened? Oh, they got a job promotion and more hours at work and they couldn't come on Sundays and now they're making more money and they're taking better care of their family and if they ever come to church, they're going to tithe more. It's, it's the deceitfulness of riches. It's the lie of the world. Where's your heart at today? Where is your heart at? Sound like I said your hard hat, didn't it? I thought, where's my hard hat? Well, we're under construction, so. So which heart are you? There's four hearts here. Which one are you? Now, I'm not saying, listen, it's like I say all the time, you know, the fool has said in his heart, no to God. I can act like a fool. I can have a heart that has some hardness in it and not be a hard heart. I can be a, God's working on that. See, I can, I can, I can be a fool by and then come and go, uh-oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. But is it my overall heart? Is that my direction? See, the fool has said in his heart, no to God, means I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do. Like one world government. And now they're giving over to their debased minds, and they think they really can uh, uh, rule the planet with, with, um, without God saying anything, you know. And we can follow that system or we can follow God's grace and mercy and perfect salvation and be in the way with Christ. Whose will do you want to do today? The will of the world or the will of God? Because whoever does the will of God is in the family of God. Truly. If you want a litmus test. And part of doing the will of God is admitting when you're not. And drawing near and asking Him to purify your heart. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for mothers. Thank you for um, the fellowship of believers. We pray for safety for those who are uh, have weak immune systems or those that are up there in age. But Lord, we know at the end of the day that it's appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. So most importantly, Lord, we pray for people to come to salvation that they would wake up and know you because of the blood your son Jesus poured out on the cross at Calvary and paid for our sins, our sin nature. Lord, that none would pass from this physical earth into your presence without knowing your son Jesus. And thank you that none was lost except for the son of perdition. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
The Lord bless you. I guess you can have a sour heart, right, Mark? I never mentioned that. <laughs> and that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall